0: Hi there and welcome to Chaos Corral. I'm Ted Benson, co-founder and managing partner of Coralling Chaos, a management consulting firm. Corralling Chaos is a catalyst for authentic leadership and high-performing teams. We're here today with Vinod Unial. He is Chief Technology Officer, Talent and Transformation Innovation Unit at IBM. And I'm gonna let him introduce himself to us a little bit more. Thank you so much, uh, Ted. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: I'm very excited and thank you so much for having me here. I'm a global technology leader, currently titled as CTO in IBM's TNT, Talent and Transformation Unit. And this is part of global business services within IBM. And I work across the clients in different sectors. I've been in IT services industry for almost 20 years now I've held leadership roles in Ericsson and Tata Consultancy Services before joining IBM in 2015 as a CIO partner and PNL leader of large strategic IT outsourcing accounts so in my current role as the CTO I am wearing two different hats So the first one is to lead the technology strategy direction and the architecture for our talent platform i also continuously evaluate and bring suitable partners to our ecosystem and also enable our sellers globally so that's the first hat. the second part of my role is to advise our clients on learning and skills transformation i partner with them on their digital transformation journey and leverage AI, big data, blockchain, and cloud technologies to help them create a culture of continuous learning and exponential skilling. I'm based out of Raleigh in North Carolina, and it has been an exciting journey, and I'm enjoying every day.
0: You're capturing many of the themes that we're exploring in this podcast, including learning the value of culture, but I want to go to a high level to start here, and that is, can you please tell us a little bit about IBM? What is, what is IBM's mission?
1: Absolutely, Ted. So, I mean, as we all know, IBM is a 110-year-old company. It has transformed itself multiple times over these 100-plus years. And the mission, I mean, if I just read it verbatim, it's to lead in the creation and development and manufacture of the industry's most advanced information technologies. So it's all around the information technologies, right? But I think the mission is actually underpinned by the values that drive IBM. And for me, I think that is very important. And the values of IBM that drive IBM and all the IBMers across the globe are dedication to every client's success. And the second value is innovation that matters for our company and for the world. And the third value is trust and personal responsibility in all relationships. We can, of course, talk in detail about it. But for me, I think these are the values which drive our mission and keep us continuing to do better and better every day.
0: Very nice summary, Venoda. I particularly like your touchstones of values that are behind the mission, right? So that as you're doing the information technology focus at the same time, behind that is the deeper and more resonant human values around client success and innovation that matters, And trust and responsibility, I think that those are wonderful, wonderful pieces to bring in. So let's build a little bit on that and tie this back into culture. IBM is known for an intentional culture. How has IBM created this culture? IBM actually has been on a transformation journey
1: as I mentioned, transformed itself several times in those hundred years. And that's the reason IBM is you know, still surviving and thriving and leading in technology industry, right? But if I look at the culture that we have currently, that's the culture of transparency, putting the customers first, working with ethics and being uh, an integrity and, and an open culture. There are several strategies that we have employed in IBM to build that culture. And I'll just take one example first, the open culture. Our CEO, Arvind Krishna, he has been holding the open office hours every two weeks or three weeks these days. Those are the opportunities where any employee within IBM can directly reach to Arvind and ask questions on any topic no script is there and he is his authentic self. So I think that is an example of building an open culture and that permeates from the top leadership to everybody in IBM. And then again, I'll talk about transparency a little bit more. So in IBM, transparency is the underpinning of our culture and it reflects in everything that we do. And I'll give you an example from a skills development perspective, right? So for the organization to move into the direction that we want to move in the new areas that we want to target and tie to our business objectives, we need to understand the skills that we want to build in our organization and the roles that we want to have going forward, the roles that are more relevant for us going forward, right? So what we do is we transparently communicate the roles. We call them hot roles. And we transparently communicate the skills and we call them hot skills to all the employees uh, through the learning experience platform that we have and that transparency actually builds trust because employees know what the direction of the company is which direction uh companies investing into what kind of roles we need what kind of skills we need and that creates that culture of trust and employees actually are nudged to
0: develop themselves into those roles let's build a little on what you've just said about the skills gap. We know, and if people people weren't paying attention in 2019, they certainly had their attention grabbed by the events of 2020, that uh, we live in an era of rapid and unexpected changes. But we can begin to sort of look out a little bit and try to be more flexible in order to accommodate these rapid and unexpected changes. So as enterprises try to, to close the skills gap that you raised, what are some of the practical strategies that, that you have explored to address that and develop a culture of continuous learning or, or learning agility in the workplace?
1: Absolutely, Ted. And I think this is uh, more relevant than ever with the kind of uncertainty that we have in the external environment. It is paramount that we all build skills and the organizations actually help the employees and enable them to continuously upskill and reskill themselves. And personally for me, I think this is more about democratizing the whole process of upskilling and reskilling rather than somebody trying to control it and direct people and push you know learning and skills towards them. So the way I think about it in HR, there is this employee journey which we you know term as jml join move and leave i've just expanded that and the way i describe it is you join an organization you learn something new and you practice it in you know projects or opportunities and then you share it with others and you also grow in those skills eventually then you move internally right? So that's the life cycle of the employee in building new skill, upskilling in the current role and reskilling themselves. You cannot build the skills just by consuming digital content. That is the first step. You also need the opportunity to apply those skills and have the opportunity to you know, practice the skills that you have built. And you also learn from others, right? So it's not only about consuming the content and practicing, but there are people who have done it before you, they are experts in certain areas. So if there is a possibility to connect people with each other, sort of peer to peer learning, that is another element which allows for reskilling and upskilling at a rapid pace, right? And then the third element, I would say is the social element. So wherein you are able to share what you are learning, ask questions and, you know, work with people who have similar interests as you. And I would call them the communities of practice where you are able to share things and, you know, build skills accordingly. And eventually once you have built certain skills, you have upskilled yourself. If you get those opportunities within the organization to move to different roles, that keeps the employees engaged, give them opportunity to move elsewhere within the organization and keep on adding to the company over a long period of time, rather than thinking that, okay, we have reached, I have reached a limit here and I probably need to look out, right? So that is the way I would like the organization to think about it and enable their employees to find, discover learning opportunities, discover skilling opportunities
0: and continuously upskill and reskill themselves. Very nice. But of course, one of the challenges that an organization could face in identifying the skills gaps and knowing that they need workers in that space is engaging employees to want to go into those spaces and helping them to deliberately develop, to intentionally develop. So from an employee engagement standpoint, how can companies create experiences that engage employees such that this learning and skill building are actually integrated into the daily work?
1: Absolutely, Ted. I think that's an excellent point. Because something that is not engaging, something that is not enjoyable, people tend not to do it, right? So think about it. In today's world, all the employees are experiencing, I would say, applications, apps, and the experiences as consumers in the world that is outside the organizational boundaries they are getting consumer grade experiences, right? So think about Uber or Amazon or Facebook or anything like that. It's pretty easy, pretty engaging experience, right? Most of the times we don't get that kind of consumer grade experiences within the enterprises. So that's one thing to look at. The other aspect is social aspects of learning. How do we engage people? And then the third aspect would be the gamification. So if we can provide those kind of consumer grade experiences, and in IBM we call it the Netflix of learning. So our learning experience platform, we call it Your Learning. So it keeps on providing you personalized recommendations which keeps you engaged um, and you actually want more because the recommendations are based on who you are what your profile is what people like you are liking and the uh, things that you are interested in right so the recommendations really really engage folks and then i would say the aspect of gamifications which we have enabled through open digital badges really works you know because with that you get the motivation you are able to share it on social media platforms, so you get the recognition, and then it just evolves, and everybody is talking about it, and you know, just you keep on going from there. I'll also talk about one more strategy that we have used very successfully. Ginny Rometty, who was our you know previous CEO, she came up with this concept of Think 40. So that was like a recommendation or nudge for every IBMer or employee to at least complete 40 hours of learning every year. It was not required. It was just recommended or suggested, right? But what we did was we actually transparently communicated and started showing that tracker of Think 40 hours on the intranet homepage, as well as on the Your Learning Learning Experience Platform homepage. And what it does is since you are seeing it every day or multiple times in a day, it sort of creates that nudge rather than, you know, push or reminder or anything like that. And that has resulted into such an engagement that in 2019, we actually ended up having 27 million hours of learning in IBM, which is equivalent to 77 hours of average learning per employee. So that kind of results we have seen And now what we have done is since 40 hours was not sufficient, we actually created something more than that. We created championship badges. So somebody who is doing 100 hours plus and attaining a badge gets a bronze badge, bronze championship, then you take it to silver level and gold level. So... That's the kind of, you know, engagement we have generated. And these are the strategies which are pretty easy for anybody else to replicate and, you know, create that kind of super
0: engagement in the employees. Very good, Vinod. I think it's fascinating that the people took it on so well at IBM and you got up to 77 hours per year on the average for the employee. And I suspect that one of the other things that this allows people to do is get a sense of accomplishment and accomplishment is an incredibly reinforcing thing for all of us you touched on gamification one of the essences of video game design is the sense of accomplishment that the player the user gets and then also from an organizational standpoint i'm calling this out because i want folks listening to this to really think about this one of the advantages of having these kinds of development programs that are you know user directed and so forth is that as it's engaging those employees, that's also allowing you to identify the individuals in the organization who are high potential individuals, right? They're the people who are taking an active interest in their own development because they're curious, because they're ambitious, because they want to contribute more, because they want to learn more. All of those sort of qualities are really promising and get to your point about encouraging people to stay in the organization and those people in particular to sort of see who those people are, that you're self-identifying through this process and they're also being, being engaged and motivated at the same time thoughts on that
1: absolutely ted i totally agree with you and i'll just share something personal here so i have a colleague who is an olympic gold medalist and i always tease him you know okay that was your olympic uh, this is my olympic and <laughs> this is my kind of olympic and i'm gonna be you know go- i'm actually a gold uh you know championship status in that so i kind of tease him with that so i mean look at, you know, the kind of environment we create with these kind of strategies, Uh, as you said, you know, motivation, social recognition, identification of the employees who are actually, you know, taking control of their own career and own development, right? So
0: yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you raised the social recognition piece too, Vinod, because there's a lot of data out there on the psychological side, motivational side, that peer-to-peer recognition is an incredibly powerful system. And, you know, the fact that you're joking around with your coworker about, you know, he's got his Olympics and you've got yours, you know, that's also forming a little bit of culture there. It's not really an aggressive, nasty rivalry. It's, it's a fun thing. And more than that, you are feeling a sense of accomplishment from the work that you're doing. And then others are then able to see that and recognize that and go, hey, Vinod, I see you got that gold award or whatever, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, very I mean, cool. it is it is fun. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And, and, you know, why shouldn't it be fun, right? You know, we work hard for these things and we should have a sense of accomplishment when we, when we achieve them. So I'm going to take you back. You mentioned strategy a moment ago. From a strategic standpoint, how should organizations think about the overall workforce, again, in this new and very volatile uh, and uncertain business environment?
1: So let me just draw a little framework here to guide our discussion. So the way I think about it, when, whenever we think about rescaling, upscaling, uh, learning and skill building, the simple framework is a three-step process. The first step is to understand the skills that we have. The second step is to understand the skills that we need in future. And the third step is of course, to close that gap and build for the future. Now this three step process can be applied and looked at it from three different perspectives. The first one is as we were talking about is the individual lens. That is as an individual, what skills do I have? What skills do I need or desire in future? And how do I close that skills gap? You can apply the same thing to a team and at an organization level, when you take it to the macro level from micro, again, it's the same paradigm we need to understand as an organization, what are the skills that we have? And in a recent survey, which we did with CXO CEOs, we found that 45% of the CEOs said that they don't have the skills they need in order to be successful in the future, as per the business strategy that they have laid down. So that's the first step. And then As an organization, you need to understand the skills that you need in future. So like I was talking about IBM, when we took that transformation journey, we we looked at the business areas that we wanted to be in. So things like cloud, artificial intelligence, blockchain, quantum computing, those were the new skills that we needed. And what we did, we actually transparently communicated those skills to everybody and then enabled everybody to build those skills earlier we had hardly five out of 10 IBMers who had at least one of those strategic skills. Today, we can proudly say that out of 10, nine IBMers have at least one of those strategic skills that we need. Now, in the third step, which is building for future or closing the skills gap, you can apply that seven Bs here from a strategic workforce planning perspective. So those seven Bs are you can buy permanent resources, or you can borrow resources, which will be your contingent or temporary resources. You can also bind the resources, meaning move them from one to another, or you know apply the retain um, uh, talent retention strategies. Fourth B is bounce. Sometimes you need to exit certain resources. Fifth B is build, is actually developing those skills and building those resources. The sixth B I would add is something to do with the automation. We call them bots. So you can also think about the automation and AI as the other pillar or additional resources that you have at your perusal, right? And the last B is balancing all of this. So in today's VUCA world, volatile, uncertain world, You can't really do it on an annual basis. You can't have an annual plan. You actually need to do it on an iterative, agile manner and continuously balance the workforce strategies that you have built in. If you're talking about the larger enterprises, how do you really understand the skills that you have? And I can talk about certain artificial intelligent AI-based strategies that we use in IBM to really
0: understand and infer the skills of the employees to do it at scale. In fact, that actually brings us along to another question. And I'm gonna challenge you a little bit on this one, Vinod, to imagine your audience being both from larger and smaller companies. How can an organization understand their staff's current skills in a scalable way?
1: Absolutely, Ted. The AI-based skills inference works very well for large organizations with large data sources and large pool of employees because then you have enough data and you are also able to make that kind of investment. If you are in a smaller organization, you still need to put an effort to understand and document the current skills of your employees, right? And there are various data sources which can be utilized, but at the same time, I would say the application of the traditional methodology of understanding and documenting those skills is still very important because that's the starting point, right? You need a baseline from where you're starting. And those traditional ways are, of course, looking at the resume and any other information that the employee brings in. And the project appraisals or the contributions that the employees are making and the employee self-assessment validated by the manager or managers as well. And that would create the baseline. And then based on that, you can actually then apply the other steps of communicating what you need in the future and creating personalized learning plans for each and every employee so that they are able to upskill themselves and reskill themselves.
0: How do you think the efforts of your talent and transformation organization group How do you think these efforts are going to impact IBM's position in the market? Where will IBM be in, say, five years because of these efforts? Do you have any sense of ROI? Absolutely, Ted. So I'll talk about two different ROI
1: or metrics here. So within IBM, the kind of results that we have seen is we have actually reduced the expenses or cost for training and learning by 50%. But at the same time, we have actually increased the engagement or learning by three times, 3x, right? So that's the kind of results that we have seen in IBM. The other metrics that I talked about is nine out of 10 IBMers having that strategic skills, right? These are the facts, but ultimately what happens is with this kind of culture of continuous learning, upskilling and reskilling, we create inspired and engaged employees, And those inspired employees create delighted clients and thus, you know, impact your revenue and profits. And there are studies which talk about having inspired employees and how it actually, you know, increases your profitability, right? So there are reports available on these things. I mean, I can't share the internal IBM data on that front, but any organization can look at those reports and make these connections. The kind of ROI you can expect from your investments into building this culture of continuous learning and enabling the employees to continuously upskill and reskill themselves.
0: So that's a really nice summary. And I'm going to ask you to become a science fiction author here for a second and look out three, three or five years from now. And of course, now in the news about IBM's transforming itself, restructuring itself. Where do you think IBM will be in three to five years because of the work that you're doing right now?
1: Um, absolutely. And I think uh, the news that you have brought up is you know breaking IBM into two different companies. The infrastructure services is becoming an independent company and the IBM that remains main organization is going to focus on hybrid and AI. So the work that we are doing in IBM in terms of building that culture of continuous learning, upskilling and reskilling the employees all the time, I mean, we are playing that role again in this transformation because the focus on hybrid cloud and ai is actually asking for us to upskilling the employees upskilling the sellers upskilling the partners on these you know new focus areas that we have and without upskilling the employees on these areas we will not be able to achieve the business impact the results that we are thinking about so the kind of work that we do in talent development i think it is directly impacting on our ability to achieve the business objectives that we have drawn up for ourselves and developing the talent and the skills in those areas is going to make or break that so it's absolutely critical for ibm
0: success Yes, absolutely makes sense, right? You're steering into a new area. You've got to make sure you've got the people who can actually succeed in that space. Totally get it. So high level here. But What, in your opinion, is the value of culture and of learning?
1: Okay, so Vinod's opinion. (laughs) Uh, So I'm asked this question all the time. All the CHROs and chief learning officers that I talk to, they want these kind of benefits to be documented, to be communicated to their uh, leadership, the CFOs, CEOs, who they are asking for these kinds of investments, right? So what's the value of culture and culture of continuous learning and upscaling and, and, and reskilling, right? So as I talked about, of course, we can make the investment into learning, but at the same time, we can actually increase the engagement without actually having to increase the expenses initially yes you may have to do a little bit more investment but over a period of time the there will be a cost reduction the second benefit that i see is with learning you create highly engaged employees and if i just look at that higher engagement uh, resulting into less attrition that itself creates the business case for culture and learning. And if you take an example of, let's say, a 50,000 employees company, and let's say if you have a 10% attrition, that means you are having 5,000 employees leaving you every year. If you can even just make it into half by increasing the engagement, providing the opportunities for learning, providing the opportunities for rescaling, upskilling, and moving internally. And you bring it down to half of that. So two and a half thousand employees not leaving you. That's a huge benefit. And there are studies which talks about that, you know, you almost have to invest uh, one third of the employee's annual sa- salary to bring somebody new on board, right? So multiply two and a half thousand by whatever the average salary is. That's the kind of benefit that you can look at. And these are just a couple of metrics. There are a lot of other uh, you know, benefits that you would see by building the culture of continuous learning and upscaling.
0: Very good. So we're gonna go into a series of concise questions here. Okay. Um, you can be as concise or as expansive as you like in your answers. And if this first one is again, an opinion from you. So in this culture and learning space, What is a commonly held belief that you passionately disagree with? I would say the commonly held
1: belief that I disagree with is you can't increase the learning engagement without increasing the spend. It's possible to do it. So I don't agree with that.
0: And it's possible to do it with these sort of targeted approaches that you've discussed. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Very good. So what should everyone stop doing in this space? What are people doing that they really should just let it go, be done with it? Being prescriptive and trying to control
1: everything. LND specifically, I would say should stop controlling things. They should let go and democratize the process as much as possible.
0: Okay. So the corollary. What should everybody start doing in this space? And and you could just say it's the answer to the other question, but I want I want you to give us something different.
1: <laughs> I would say they should enable the learners. They should democratize the learning. They should uh, create that culture of pull versus the push culture that exists today in many organizations, and encourage the employees to own their own career, and that will automatically
0: lead to you know them. Owning their skill
1: development, reskilling, and upskilling.
0: The summary I'm getting from both of those answers is democratization and empowerment. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. So, what is something that you're doing that other people would probably really benefit from?
1: I would actually give two answers on this because one may not apply to smaller organizations. First Go example for. is. AI-based skills inference. So for larger organization and in IBM, we use it very extensively. We use about 23 plus data sources, internal data sources, digital footprint to infer the skills of the employees. The other thing is, again, uh, it's an AI-based innovation that we have developed. So think about all the content that you have to deal with, right? So there is all the time, a lot of content, duplicate content, old content, and all that many a time that content is not discoverable. So what we have done is we have created AI-based algorithms which can actually read the content as if a human being or instructional designer is reading the content, and it can actually bring out the key phrases and tags from the content in a matter of seconds. It allows you to make the content discoverable and it allows for that personalization. And the same algorithms also allow you to break the content into smaller chunks. Again, as if a human being is doing it. Now, with that, what you can do is it enables you to now create new content out of those old content that you had and by changing some pieces out of that. So everything is not bad or obsolete. There is a lot of stuff that is reusable. So these are the two things that really help you optimize,
0: curate, and utilize the content that you already have. What is the main takeaway that you want to leave the audience with and or a tangible action that listeners should take back to their business?
1: Sure. I'll answer both of the questions, Ted. A main takeaway for me would be, and this is something that I've read somewhere on the internet, that you know, the question is, what if I train the employees and then they leave? The you know, CEO is asking. The answer to that question is, what if you don't train them and then they stay with your organization? So I think that's kind of summarizes everything. A tangible action, I would encourage everyone listening to this podcast, commit to one hour of learning every week. That's it, it's pretty simple. If you do that, you would have at least done 50 hours of learning in a year. So I'm taking away two weeks from that. Next year, you increase it to one hour of learning every other day. That will take you to at least 100 hours of learning in a year. And then, of course, you can increase this goal with a destination of learning one hour every day in the year. And that will be more than 300 hours of learning in a year you will be amazed at the results that you can see just by committing to one hour of learning every week. Let's start with that.
0: I I love the aspirational aspect of that, Vinod, and at the same time, the stepwise aspects of that so that you're not encouraging people to take on something that seems completely unreasonable, right? I would encourage the listeners who take that on to deliberately build it into your calendar. <laughs> yep. Block that time out on a day that works for you to make sure that it happens. I, I, that's one of the, the primary pieces of time management advice I give my leadership coaching clients is if it really matters to you, put it on your calendar, put a, put a, put a brick wall around the thing so that you make sure that you actually do it. I love that, to know the the specificity of it, the, as I say, the stepwise aspect of it, even even more importantly, that aspirational aspect. And I agree with you. When you are continuously learning, you learn so much more than just the content you're learning. You begin to see cross associations and connections with all kinds of cool things. So thank you for that. One last question. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Is there anything I should have asked you? So one of the things that I
1: always suggest to anybody who is seeking my advice would be talk to the 90 year old version of you and do exactly what he or she tells you to do. That's it. I think that would be my advice, you know, that will serve everyone very well.
0: That's wonderful Vinod. And I think we'll end on that just fantastic note. I do want to say thank you very much for your time. Once again, We have been speaking with Vinod Inial, Chief Technology Officer, Talent and Transformation Innovation Unit at IBM. Vinod, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Ted, it was a pleasure.
0: And I am Ted Benson, co-founder and managing partner of Corraling Chaos, a management consulting firm. Corraling Chaos is a catalyst for authentic leadership and high-performing teams. Please find us on the web at corralingchaos.com, that's two R's and two L's. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, And we hope you'll come back and join us for another one of these podcasts. Thanks very much and have a wonderful day.